welcome to Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast where we dig into the paranormal and try to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. And I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And we're here today to talk about something that we did last night that was super fun. What did we do? What did we do? I don't remember. Oh, did we forget? We went on the downtown Norman ghost tour. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you guys remember back to episode five, when we were telling our personal stories, we Dave read a book from a gentleman named Jeff Provine, and it's called Haunted Norman, Oklahoma, and he's the one who gave the tour, and it was really awesome. He was super nice, super cool. A lot younger than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm failing in the world. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we did on the tour was what's in the book, but it was really neat to get to listen to somebody talk about what was going on. And, and for him to show us kind of where the stories came from and all that. And I mean, there was some stuff that, I mean, I hadn't read the, all the book yet, but there's parts from the book that uh, I didn't read, and he uh, kind of went through some stories that were just really kind of cool. You know, things I didn't know about Norman, so a that lot was really of cool. history. Yeah. History lo- that I had no clue about. A lot of legend. Yes. Do you know, starting with the railroad that came in and the Native Americans and the land run, we talked about all that. But he, I mean, we got into depth about specific businesses and about buried treasure. Buried treasure. I never knew there was buried treasure out here. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. Um, Mob bosses and everything. I mean, Al Capone. Norman just has a little bit of it. Everything. we, We got Al Capone stories here. I. I thought Norman was just kind of a boring college town. I guess you can't be a college town and be boring, right? <laughs> um, but no, it was a whole lot of fun. And we told him about our podcast, so we hope he's listening. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? And I never knew about the uh, the blue trading post out there off 48. The Blue Brothers trading post? Yeah, I didn't yeah. either. And I mean, that's not far from where we're at, and never was any any of the Oklahoma history classes that I ever took, that's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, and a lot yeah. of information about the home, the depot, the train depot, almost at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> that's on the other side of town. <laughs> about the train depot, um, about, yeah, about the Blues Brothers, which the whole time I was thinking back to the Jibolution movie. Um <laughs> Well, they're but, the Blue Brothers, not the Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers sounds cooler. Um, uh, yeah. About them and the other yeah, trading posts and the different stories. He had two, you know, two outlooks on it. Um, two different stories he's heard and read. Basically, um, we have the blue side, and then we have the the people that killed the blue side. Yeah, pretty much. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle is the truth. Yeah, and I'm guessing it's probably right where the buried treasure is. Probably. So I just want to, you know, dam up more of Lake Thunderbird and find that treasure. I would be scared to see what is in that water. True. You know, that's just not going to be the best thing. <laughs> well, depending which part of the story was true, the that posse might have took that treasure. Yeah, true. very possible. So the story goes that the Blue, Blue Brothers... Jim and Dave. Jim and Dave, yes. They had their outpost at what's now the corner of 48th and Highway 9, west side of town. Or east side of town, sorry. 
And they say they made their money by buffalo hides. But they would go back and forth between Texas and Oklahoma and make their... Was Kanawha? No. Atoka. Atoka. So Camp Norman, which is where we were at, and Atoka, sell their goods, come back, all that stuff. And uh, I guess a posse came up while they were clearing the land for the land run. Is that... Yeah. Yeah, they were clearing the land for the land run. And the posse was coming up to clear out any outlaws and bandits throughout the area. Any, uh, quote, Sooners, unquote. (laughs) Sorry. Boomer. Sooner. Um, And when they got to the trading posts, there was nobody there. And then it was a little while later, the brothers came back up. And the posse said, you know, where have you been? One story is that they ran away when they saw the posse coming up because they didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so they come back, and um, <clears throat> the posse, um, as supposedly why they were waiting for the Blue Brothers to show back up, discovered um, where they believed that the Blue Brothers were killing single people or people throughout the prairie um, and taking their goods, and that was another way they were making money. And supposedly they got in a fight and killed the Blue Brothers. Um, and the other story is that uh, the posse came in and told the Blue Brothers, "Hey, you guys are gonna start paying us because we're kind of the you know the law out here, and if you're not gonna pay us, we're gonna beat you up." And they kind of were startled by it and kind of started trying to run away and got caught. And uh, they had gone and buried their silver and gold somewhere out where Lake Thunderbird is now in Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, <clears throat> the posse was dragging them to find it and. To prove their point, they shot one of the brothers in the back of the head, and the other brother kept taking them to where they had buried it, and then gave up on showing them, and he got killed as well. So, that was kind of the first documented, I guess you would say, murders in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting, too, about this is they later, what, in the 70s? Is that what you said? I think so. I think it was in the 70s, a boy found a skull... With a hole in the back of the head. Out in Lake Thunderbird. Out in the so. middle, or out in Lake Thunderbird in the Clear Bay area. So, I mean, um, the police said it was the right caliber hole for that kind of weapon, but at the time, they didn't have jurisdiction over that area, and the skull ended up in the Norman Historical Society. Be cool to have them do a, you know, testing you on it. And that bullet hole wound was in the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that leads me more to believe they operated like most law enforcement before 1960. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's really interesting to me is that there is a creek named named for both of these brothers. Jim Blue Creek and Dave Blue Creek. Yes. Well, Dave Blue Creek, we've talked about the house that we grew up in out in the country. Dave Blue Creek runs quite seriously less than like a quarter of a mile from where we grew up. And the lake, it, it ends in the lake right there on the other side of 84th. So, I mean, it's really close to our house. And I was like, oh man, if only we would have found buried treasure in that backyard. We <laughs> dug in that yard all the time. That would have been awesome. <laughs> so, so possibly your Indian ghost could be one of Jim and David Blue's victims. 
It could be. It could be. Yeah. I mean, or it, who knows? It could even be Jim or Dave. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We, I don't we know don't what know. they look like. I mean, we, they don't never said there's no documentation whether or not they were, you know, Native American. I'm sure there is. He didn't well, mention that. We don't know about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was one thing that was really cool about the, the stories that are in this book, plus the stories that were told at the tour, is there's documentation for each one of them. Yeah. So it's not just hearsay and um, just stories people are spreading. There's actually documentation for all these stories that this stuff actually happened. Oh, he, yeah. Jeff he did a bunch of interviews and everything mm-hmm. on it. So yeah. He said he, it was over a couple of years that he was writing that book. I mean, going through interviews and... He said, "Just doing research and looking in uh, the archives and everything, looking up the information." So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of believe him when he says this stuff because I'm sure he did the research and has all these, sto- uh, <clears throat> actual documents and stuff to prove it. So, now the legend says that if you get near the gold in Lake Thunderbird, the brothers are there protecting it and they will pull you under. The Oklahoma octopus. Exactly. That was where my brain went as soon as he said that. I thought. Wait a second. They've been now claiming that on this octopus thing that's supposed to be in Lake Thunderbird. Well, my, my issues with the octopus. Not going to say it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Because anything can exist. But we're talking, this is not a freshwater animal. We're talking the oceanic octopus. His joke was that Thunderbird's not the freshest of water either. either. <laughs> but it's still, there's no salt in Thunderbird. Red mud, we got tons of it. Salt, no. Um, so I have an issue with that. It's a long way for an octopus to travel via rivers and creeks to get from the ocean to the center of North, or Oklahoma. No, not to like, mention that they, they created like Thunderbird by damming up the little river. Yes. And the little river flows from the north and the yeah. south. So they there's all kinds of reasons <laughs> would, that this doesn't exist. He was saying the police after having all these rumors <coughs> and calls about it, he said the police pretty much said they're pretty sure the Oklahoma oct- or the Lake Thunderbird octopus is really just the red algae and alcohol. Yeah. So yeah. definitely that's where I lean. But hey, if there's an octopus at Lake Thunderbird that it's going to be cool. We're going to make national news. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. Now, there's always the possibility of somebody releasing it into there. But you're still talking ocean water versus fresh water. It'd have to it'd have to, it'd have to adapt quickly. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I'm not going to say that there's not some guy in his house like trying to do hybrid octopus. That very well could be. Um, People are into some weird shit. (laughs) You know, who knows? There could be some hybrid octopuses out there. I know that there are, um, there are freshwater jellyfish. Yeah. I've actually seen freshwater jellyfish, but I don't know. That's, that octopus is a bit much, but I mean, I guess bull sharks, bull sharks do swim up into freshwater. I mean, I, there's, there's a smidge. Of myself that thinks, well, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's a very small smidge. It's more of the smidge that's like, this could be really cool. 
every other part of my being says it. There's the parts d- that just doesn't you work. want it to exist, but I mean. But you're also not the kind of person that would close the door completely to something. No, I I, I try to stay open-minded in a whole lot of things. And I never want to say it's never possible or it's never going to happen. Because as soon as I say it's never going to happen, it's going to happen. That's just how my world works. So I can't say (laughs) (laughs) that this has never existed and will never exist because then it'll just automatically exist and I'll have you proven wrong. Um, So we're not going to go there. Now, he talked about ghosts a lot, and he did talk about some cryptids. He talked about the octopus, and he talked about Bigfoot. Um, He told stories about Bigfoot walking the rivers between, because I guess they're really heavily populated so much in southeastern Oklahoma that there are actually Bigfoot crossing signs. But then I guess they follow the rivers and stuff up to Thunderbird. Yeah. I have heard one person's encounter with a Bigfoot saying that she saw it walk over a fence. Walk over the fence? Yeah. Just like, step right walk, over Yeah, it? just step right over the fence. Now... Yeah, they're as tall as they say they are. That's yeah, completely I mean, possible. possible. She has a four-foot fence, and it's a nine-foot-tall creature. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard any personal Bigfoot stories besides the ones on, you know, National Discovery. So. I love <laughs> watching Bigfoot shows. And... I can describe every single Bigfoot show to you in no prob- like with no problems. There's going to be a group of guys. There's usually a couple guys that have beards. And they usually all have southern accents. They're going to show you some castings of Bigfoot feet. They're going to talk about how last time they were there, before they had the cameras, they saw them. <laughs> then they're going to show the evidence that they have, which is going to be some random hairs. Because that's the new thing. They have random hairs. They're going to make the hoopy holler sound. Because that's like, obviously what Bigfoot says. And then they're not going to find shit. <laughs> <laughs> every Bigfoot hunting show that I've ever seen. Now, there are a few of them out there that I think are really funny to watch and really good. And I like to hear the stories of the witnesses. You know? And... It's very entertaining. Yeah. Well, when you talk... well. When you talk eyewitness reports, a lot of it's going to be skewed wrong. And that's just how eyewitness reports go. Uh, When you're talking crime eyewitness reports, Bigfoot eyewitness reports, ghost eyewitness reports, they're all going to be a little skewed. So you've got to take that, you know, I I feel like every eyewitness report you have to take with a grain of salt. Because I'm not going to deny that the things that they see and they hear don't exist because I've seen and heard these things so I understand that this stuff exists but in that moment you've got so much adrenaline pumping and then all this stuff is happening that things may not happen the way you quite remember yeah yeah I mean like you said that happens across the board with any kind of eyewitness report yeah so but I still like to hear the witnesses stories and then I like I, I like to hear those stories and then I like to sit there and try to figure out what what do I think actually happened you know, you listen to, I was sitting here on the couch watching TV and all of a sudden that picture frame flew across the, the room and hit the, hit the floor. It's like, okay. They were probably sitting there watching TV and a picture frame that was on the wall fell. Not going to deny that that happened. 
But did it actually projectile? Or did it just fall? And most of the time I'm going to say it probably just fell. Yeah. I, I mean, in all of my haunting experiences, I've never had anything heavy thrown. I've seen lighter things get tossed. Um, rice or part, little particles. I've seen those go. But I've never actually seen anything physically heavy get thrown. I've seen things move, like skid, but not actually thrown. But then again, I've also never been with anything malicious. So that could just be, I'm lucky. <laughs> but I just have to, I have to take things from with my knowledge and portray it out. You know, figure out what's going on. So the next story that I remember hearing that got me thinking about that particular thing was the Midway um, Barbershop. Oh, yeah. And this is a barbershop where they're still receiving haircuts 80 years after his death. 80 plus years after his death. Um, this barbershop's look at me just downtown Norman, right in the center of town. Um, it's kind of cool that it's still there after all these years. In fact, if you ever watch, is it Diner Digs and Drives or Dives at... The Guy Fieri show. Yeah, that show. I don't actually watch it. Or Fieri. But there was the big deal about it because I believe he went to the diner, yeah. which is right next door to this barbershop. Which used to be part of the barbershop. Yes. The owner of the barbershop actually had... He cut hair in the morning. At lunch rush, he would go yeah. cook at the diner. For his wife who owned the diner. For his wife who owned the diner, and then he would go back and cut hair afterwards. Did anybody else think Sweeney Todd? <laughs> yeah. Because that was... Oh, <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> My brain was like, this is like a Sweeney Todd type situation. He, he, cooked, he cooked chili, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. So it would be perfect oh, to put men in, or meat into. Now, what, what was that Texas chainsaw where they were making chili? For the county fair. Uh, two? I don't remember. Two? I think it's two. I'm horrible at remembering, remembering like parts of movies. Like mm-hmm. I remember the parts and I remember the movies, but I can't tell you what movie that was from. Oh. But about that barbershop, what's kind of cool is they said, uh, just a couple, I think it was last year maybe, um, they renovated the diner to make it nicer and, you know, just That was renovated. also on TV too. I yes. believe it was... Uh, um, Ty from uh, Ty Trading Pennington Homes. Ty from Trading yeah. Spaces, yeah. They came in. Trading Homes, not Trading Spaces. Trading Homes, whatever. Or whatever. I don't even remember what the show's called Trading now. Trading Spaces. I don't know. I don't watch a lot of Extreme Home Makeover is what it's from. I don't know where we got Trading Spaces. I don't know either. Here's my thing. Is I don't. movie. I don't watch a lot of HGTV because it makes me think of all the crap I've got to do to my house. <laughs> and it just makes me tired. But, so uh, <laughs> When they renovated that, they tore down a wall, or the drywall. And they actually found a door leading from the barbershop to the diner that no one knew was there for the past few decades, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, this gentleman's name was Ortho Davis, and he ran the barbershop, and he had a wife and four kids, and they started, you know, hurting for money. They were, you know, living pretty tight, and he had a customer in his chair. And his wife said, I need to talk to you. And he said, well, come down here and talk to me. I got a customer. We need the money. So she came down and she said, we're expecting our fifth child. No. And he just said, oh. She went back upstairs. and after That's not the response you want. <laughs> <laughs> I would be very, well, at five children, I would probably myself be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> not again. But... 
he excused himself from his customer and he went into the bathroom and after a while he didn't come out and so they went in to check on him they knocked on the door and he didn't answer and then he they busted, they down, the busted door. down the door and found him on the floor knife still or his razor blade still in hand with a slit across his throat he just couldn't take the pressure yeah under pressure <laughs> now I have heard I don't know because I mean I I don't research suicides but I have heard that slitting your own throat is one of the hardest ways to commit suicide I mean because I'm not an expert so I know I don't know <laughs> I, but yeah, I don't know either I guess if you're really just at that point where you yeah. just can't take it anymore, I guess that's one way to do it. But, um, I mean, these stories from about, supposedly he's still haunting the place after all this time. Um, there's stories of, if you're driving down Main Street at between 2 and 4 o'clock in the morning, the lights of the barbershop will be on and you'll see shadows of, it looks like someone's cutting hair in there. Um, and they said that people called the owner of the barbershop the next day and, what are you doing cutting hair at 3 o'clock in the morning? And he's like, well... If they're not cutting hair, they're not. If they're cutting hair at that early, they're not putting money in the till. It's kind of his <laughs> way of, uh, yeah, dismissing everything. But um, I think kind of the cooler one, cooler story, is uh, back in I think he said fifties or so, maybe the sixties. They had bought a popcorn machine to you know get customers to sit around and wait for their haircut when they were busy. So they kind of had it in the back, and people would go sit there and eat popcorn and everything. Well, at night, you know, they'd lock up, and the popcorn machine would somehow end up barricading the back door so they couldn't get in in the morning. So they'd have to walk around to the front, open the door, go move the popcorn machine. And they said, after a while of doing that, they finally decided, okay, we're just going to anchor it to the wall so it can't move. Um, and it was still happening. It would become detached from the wall and still barricade the back door. And just pull the anchors right out. Yeah. yeah. So whatever it was to not want people coming in that back door... That's a powerful spirit. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Or he has really good power tools. <laughs> <laughs> he sits there with his razor blade and just picks the anchor out of the wall. Well, and then there was another story he was talking about, because he was talking about on his ghost tours how people take pictures and things like that. And we didn't actually take pictures of the barbershop, but we were there during Art Walk, which Norman, every... Every first Friday? First Friday of the month, they do an Art Walk down Main Street where all the businesses stay open late or they have music performances and art shows, shows and stuff like that. So it was really busy and it was really crowded. And we were, <laughs> were probably 40 of us in our group yeah. and we were all kind of jammed into the sidewalk. So <laughs> I think we all just kind of wanted space. So we didn't really go and take pictures of it. We went to go back by and take a picture of it. I drove right past it. <laughs> and it was funny as I told Davis I didn't even know this barbershop was here. Oh, see, I've known it's been there for a long time. I just have never... I've I walked past it because it's right next to a couple of bars on downtown. Yeah. Um, so, I've been going to the bars. I've passed it. But I never knew anything about it being haunted or anything like that. So, yeah. crawled well, past it. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, back to the, the, people, the people taking pictures. I guess a couple of people have taken pictures and gotten a man in the building that's got a brown hat and a brown coat on. And... The craziest one that he told yeah. us was at the end of it. He goes, there's a lady that was taking pictures, and I guess she's kind of... Trying to provoke it. Yeah, she's well, she's like a paranormal investigator, you know, self-proclaimed paranormal investigator. She said sometimes you got to provoke these, you know, spirits to get them to reveal themselves. So she was, like, yanking on the door, 
saying, I need a haircut, let me in, I need a haircut. And she said, um, then she all of a sudden felt the door, like, jerk closed from the inside, like someone pushed, pushed, or like slammed the door shut. And she took a picture, and there's clearly a man standing there. Um, even the Jeff Provine said he's seen the picture, and there's clearly a man standing there with a very unhappy look on his face. Yeah. Now, first of all, shame on her for provoking. I understand. Sounds like, sounds like ghost adventures. It gets reaction. But ghosts deserve a little bit of respect. They were human. They were on this earth before us. Like, or with us. It, it pisses me off. And yes, you are going to get hyped up energy when you provoke. Because they're feeding off of your energy. So if you're coming at them with high energy and high aggressive energy, they're going to come back at you with high aggressive energy. Just like people will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you bow up to a guy, he's going to bow back. You know, it's just how it works. And that's one thing that pisses me off about Ghost Adventures. (laughs) Is that Zach runs his mouth and says shit to ghosts the ghosts and the spirits that I'm like no these poor souls are here for a reason like I don't know what it is but they're here for a reason find out why (laughs) you know don't piss them off I guess it makes for good TV yeah it it elicits a response yeah well you know ghost hunters always went in with a very scientific mindset and they were usually really calm and they'd get they'd get evidence and stuff but it wasn't huge things but that's because they weren't throwing a lot of energy out of there and another thing that pisses me off with people that provoke is those people that provoke and they get all tough and raw they run and flee <laughs> they're the first ones to run <laughs> as so. soon as the ghost fights back and it's like no if you can't take it don't dish it you know like it's <laughs> you gotta you gotta take what you get out there and if you're gonna throw out negative stuff you gotta put up with the negative stuff that comes back it, it's like that yappy dog we had yes that that would bark at the big dogs and when the big dogs would try to chase her she'd run under something and hide (laughs) (laughs) she'd run under something and hide and then bark at them again yeah Yeah. oh absolutely (laughs) oh you can't get me now oh oh. yeah yeah that was that was always funny to watch i mean then the next uh, we went after the barbershop we walked over to i guess what now is the norman public school's professional building yeah it's the Um, where they test do testing yeah. and things like it that. It was, uh, I guess, Norman's first post office, and there's not a whole lot of paranormal stuff in the main building. But you, he said you go down to the basement, and they heard for the longest time heard a lot of people like or person like moaning and mumbling and moving things around. Um, yeah, which they believed to be the old postmaster. But one of the interesting things to me about the old post office was they were talking about the architecture of it. And from the outside, it's a very strange-looking building. It's a really cool-looking building. I love the building, but it's... It's got so many different architectural... I can't even think of the word. Takes? Like... Styles. Styles. Yeah, styles. Yeah, it's It's got... got the gothic gargoyle sticking off the wall. This beautiful marble entryway. Like, green marble entryway. And then there's gold brick. Like, (laughs) it looks kind of out of place with all the stuff on it, but it still is a really cool-looking building. It looks kind of out of place for where it is in downtown, too. Yeah. Because... I don't know. To me, downtown kind of has that western feel. Like, you can see... In my head, I can visualize horses and carts on a dirt path going down downtown Norman. Yeah. I can I can just visually see it. It looks like you see in a western movie. And it still has that vibe to it to me. 
And then you got this building over here, which is far more Victorian in my mind. I don't know. I just it just doesn't fit with the western side and then that. Yeah. But it's still a really cool building. And Norman like I, I think I said it in one of the other podcasts, Norman has a lot of really cool buildings. So Do you remember what year it was built? I don't. I wonder if it was part of the uh the let's make a deal thing with uh Roosevelt. Or not, let's make a deal. <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, that's a TV the, the show, isn't deal. it? The New Deal, where he was putting unemployed people to work by building government buildings and things, and they were just kind of slapping things together. That Supposedly, was it, was the, one, it was the first government building built in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I'm pulling over the book. Or at least the first right Oklahoma, uh, government building built in Norman. Um, but what's kind of cool about it is, like he said, you'd go in and you'd see look like an air conditioning duct, just black and just kind of out of the place, and he said he asked them, like, why why don't you cover that up? And they go, well, it's actually covering up a catwalk. In um, this catwalk, if you get this book, there's actually some pictures of this book, in this book, of this catwalk, where every four feet there's a little glass hole that the postmaster would walk up and down and be able to look down in the sorting room and make sure that uh, all the mail's getting sorted correctly and no one's opening letters and stuff like that. Um so it's kind of creepy. Like, it'd be really kind of cool to go up there and just walk in that catwalk. Yeah. And there's pictures yeah. of it in the book as well. Yeah. Um, it was built in 1930s. 1930s? Yeah. Yeah, it was around the time of the New Deal. It was Herbert Hoover was president. Well, maybe not then. It was after the Depression. It's during the Depression. Yeah, yeah, during the Depression. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, here's be. the picture of the catwalk right here. I'll show this to my, my people around me. You guys can't see it because you're listening to me on the podcast. But maybe, buy the book and you can look at yeah, it. Yeah, you buy the book. In fact, we got our books autographed. And I fangirl out all the time. Like, it, <laughs> oh, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter how famous a person is, I will fangirl out. Um, we had a gentleman running for governor here whose name was Joe Exotic. If you're from here, you know Joe Exotic. He's just who he is. And he doesn't give a flying flip what you think about that. Anyway... I made a comment about something on... I shared one of his videos. And I just said, I, I don't know if I'll vote for this guy, but I like what he has to say. And he replied back to me. And I totally fangirled out. <laughs> and I told everybody that I knew, like, Joe Exotic responded to me. <laughs> and there's another author that lives here in Oklahoma City. And she came into our shop one day. And I totally fangirled out. And she signed books for me, and then I <laughs> got her autograph. I mean, that's just what I do. I I make people feel really good about themselves. <laughs> yes, I fangirl out for him. But I, I held it together with him, so I, I felt like I handled it well, but inside I'm like, oh, you just sent me books. <laughs> so I bought the Haunted Oklahoma City one, which he's doing a tour, um, Haunted Tours. Um, I think next weekend, but but you guys won't be hearing this until it's already passed, like by three or four weeks. But he's also doing one um, on campus, a uh, campus one August that's actually 25th. gone through the university. Um, they actually host it, and um, it's free. Yeah, and then uh, in October, he said they're doing more. They're doing them again, so hopefully we can maybe do one of the other ones in October. I definitely am looking forward to the campus one for sure. Oklahoma City. Other than the fact that I just hate driving up I said, I just don't want to drive to Oklahoma City. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great city. Yeah, it's, it's a great just... city. When you're there, it's 
it's fun to walk around in the downtown area and Bricktown and all that. But dag nabbit, I hate driving and trying to find parking. It's just no fun. Like, we drove around. We were going to the Myriad Gardens, and we drove around for an hour waiting for a parking spot to open nearby that we could get to. Now we got a tour. We kind of took a little tour of downtown Oklahoma City because I hadn't been there since I was a kid. Got to drive Thank past God the- for Uber. <laughs> <laughs> got or Lyft. We drove past the, um, the Murrah building site and all that stuff. And I, I'd been to the mo- the memorial when I was like 16. Um, I've actually, I think I've been since I was a kid, but I haven't been since I was an adult. But other than that, the last time I was up there was right after the bombing. So they saw the chain link fence up and actually the building was still there. It was before they brought the building. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of cool to see what downtown Oklahoma City has become. It's a gorgeous place now. And yeah. Uh, which is great because now we have the basketball team, you know, go Thunder. And so I feel like it does bring a lot of people here. That's great. Oh, yeah, downtown is a lot of business. And there's a bunch of big bars open down there. And... I do want to stay at the Skirvin. Yes. Yeah, I snapped and did like a cool thing. I gave finger guns. Anyway, <laughs> the Skirvin. One night we're going to have to totally go and just rent a room at the Skirvin. And do a podcast from the Skirvin. Yeah, that'd be really cool. The 10th floor. And for those who don't know, the Skirvin is a hotel in downtown Oklahoma City that's supposedly haunted. I've um, never heard of this. It's actually where, uh, for the NBA, uh, for our NBA team, that's where the away teams are booked most of the time. Oh, And so there's actually (laughs) NBA players who have reports of... Haunted uh, hauntings. Uh, Meta World Peace. I, has I one. read an a article uh, about Meta World Peace talking about being haunted. There's a couple teams who and have refused to stay there. They will go stay in a Holiday Inn. So, the Skirvin's one of the nicest hotels in the area. Yeah, I mean it's a five star hotel, but there's a lot of NBA teams and players that refuse to stay there because it's haunted. Yeah, and so now the interesting thing about the Skirvin. I'm getting off Norman topic. We're moving to Oklahoma <laughs> City right now because this is where my brain's taking me. Um, the thing about the Skirvin is, like, it's supposedly an old maid, not an old maid, but a maid, who was first forced, or had an affair with the owner of the hotel, and was forced to have the baby in a room up there, and was locked away in the room, and then she jumped to her death with the baby. Thing is, is there's no documentation of this ever happening. I don't know, because I still say that they see a woman, and they hear a baby crying, and all this stuff. I don't know if maybe it did happen, but, you know, he was probably one of the wealthiest people at the time. If he made it disappear, people can do that when they get money. And so it was never actually recorded anywhere. Or if it didn't happen, but people have now created the tulpa of it. And there was actually already something else paranormal happening there. And then they just created her. Attached and, to a legend to it. Yeah. Um, Let's bring it back to Norman. Why? I like talking about everything! Yeah, but... I mean, we're talking about this book in our Oh, we are talking about this book. Well, I'm sure he talks about the Skirvin. Anyway, okay. So, uh, what was it? Murray Humphreys. Yeah, Murray Humphreys. Uh, He was a Welsh immigrant, or son of a Welsh immigrant, um, born and raised in Chicago. 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 But at a young age, he he was getting in trouble with the law. The sheriff at the time, you know, said, instead of uh, getting you in trouble, I'm going to make you work for me, and you're going to enjoy the law and you're gonna make a job out of it so he did that for a little bit and he realized he can 
He learned the ins, ins and outs of the law, so he knew how to get around it. Um, well, when he was 16, he hijacked Al Capone's, uh, one of his trucks. One of his bootleg trucks. One of his bootleg trucks, uh, yeah. the back during the during prohibition. prohibition. And uh, when Capone found out who it was, they went and got him, and they said Murray just stood up to him. You know, after them beating him in face in for a little bit, he said, you know who I am? He said, no, don't know who you are. He said, I'm Al Capone. Murray said, what does that mean to me? Yeah. And Capone was just so surprised by this, they started talking and they had a lot in common. And Capone goes, you know what? Since you know all these hijacking tricks, I'm going to hire you to drive my truck so you can keep it from happening. So then for a while, he worked for Capone. Um, he opened a bunch of laundry mats, which is supposedly where a lot of the terms of laundering money comes from. Um, but at one point, I guess he came down to Norman and lived down here for a little bit. He'd come, or his brother was down here. He was hiding out from the law. I think yeah, he'd come down and hide out yeah. with his brother who owned a... A radio repair yeah, shop. Yeah, radio repair shop. That's what it was. Yeah, when Al Capone, when he, when he was in, in prison, Murray Humphreys, because he was second in command of his organization, he took it over and he became what, what they called then as public enemy number one. What we would probably call today as uh, FBI's most wanted, you know. But yeah, out out east of town, they they turned his brother's place in, into kind of this compound. Yeah, yeah. There's like an Olympic-sized swimming pool there. And this was like in the, the, the 30s, you know. But he ended up getting caught, didn't he? Well, he got, well, he got caught, but they didn't have any actual... They didn't have any proof, proof of anything he'd done. So in the grand jury trial, you know, he just said, you know... Well, if you guys told me you were looking for me, you could have called me. I would have come up, and we would have worked all this stuff out and everything. And, you know, I just didn't know anything about it. And, well, they had nothing to get him on, so they let him go. Um, And then they ended up did finding a photo of him at the depot here in Norman, the train depot, with Holt reading a newspaper. And on the front end of that newspaper was that the FBI was looking for him. So he actually did get arrested for lying to a grand jury. Yeah, it said right on it, public enemy number one had his had his picture and everything. And so no. they got him on a little technicality there of you know perjury yeah. and lying but, uh, to the jury. He did get out, um, and we don't know exactly what happened. Um, they did find him um, in his apartment in Chicago, um, safe opened, him face down in the ground with a bullet in the back of his head. Um, they don't know if it was a armed robbery or. A, you know, a staged robbery. Some believe it was the FBI who staged the murder after uh, him pretty much just playing him like a fool. Uh, some believe it was people in Al Capone's organization that saw him go into the courthouse and then come out just a few, you know, 30 minutes later and thought he had ratted on him, so they went and killed him. Oh, yeah, uh, there's no real stories of what really happened. Yeah, there's no 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 um, honest truth in what happened. But he, he, him, his wife, and his daughter are all buried out here and just outside of Norman. Off of uh, Highway Nine, yeah. um, they have a little—it's a concrete mausoleum that uh, is just in and next to that or in the acreage that his house was on. Um, we were looking it up last night. Yeah, last night we got back from the the ghost tour, and we were sitting here, all sitting around my kitchen table with our phones out, looking at Google Maps, trying to find where this place was because we were planning on going out there and taking pictures of it. But um, uh, it looks like it's the property's actually been purchased now, yeah. and so it's. No, it's private property. So the thing is with the house is the people who bought it didn't know anything about it. When they bought it, it was just an abandoned house. 
Um, and when they bought it, they started looking around for him. And of course, one of the first things they found was the mausoleum. And they started looking into it and found out who it was. And then realized that his home, Murray's home here in Norman, they used to bring in big parties. He'd have Al Capone and uh, other members of that organization would come to Norman and they'd have big parties on his 10-acre lot. And um, Supposedly, it's also, there might be buried bodies out there. Yeah. Because supposedly, there's uh, a lot of, you know, the mob would bring people they wanted to disappear here so they're out of Chicago kill them and bury them and yeah well they you know they buried the bodies you know or supposedly buried the bodies he never mentioned any specific haunting with this but if there are unmarked graves and there's traumatic murders and traumatic deaths I bet there's some haunted stuff out of that property now that's a big set of property and who knows where all the bodies are buried because there's also a paintball field across the street that he, he owned. Yeah. So, it wasn't a paintball field at the time, but... So, who knows how many bodies are out there. But... Really kind of a cool thing. Being to, captured... To look up. Or being captured. Being photographed at the Norman Depot is what got him got. Yeah. And I mean, the whole time we were, he was telling us the story, we were standing in front of the Norman Depot, a train depot. Um, and just across the street is the Sooner Theater, which has been rebuilt, but it was... Originally built as it was a the nicest hotel in town, um, back when uh, after the land run, and they built it. Um, if you had money, you stayed at this hotel. Um, and then after a little while, the hotel was torn down, and it was turned into a the Sooner Theater, which is the first theater in town in Norman. Um, What's interesting is I never realized that, that I never knew that it was a hotel first. Neither did I. I honestly thought it was just always the theater. Um, Mom used to talk all the time about going to see the movies at the theater. And there were some really cool stories about the theater. Um, Now, the theater, it shut down in like 1979, and it sat vacant for quite a long time. But but then they restored it, and, and now they do like plays there, and they do like screenings of like... The oh yeah, Rocky Horror Picture Show with Halloween. Yeah, we should time definitely go do that. I love year. going and doing that. I went and did that once when I was a kid, and it was so fun. Um, Dave doesn't know what he'd be in for though. I I've never had, been. To you've one, never so. been. Oh, it's yeah, so I've much fun. If you, I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. Oh so. my gosh, it's one of my favorite movies. In fact, those of you who have listened to our intro and recognized the voice. The first few seconds there is actually from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Because I love the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> anyway, yes, I'm weird like that, and it's the coolest thing. Our stepdad actually is who got me into like going to the theater and watching it and, and the interaction at the theater. But anybody who's grown up in Norman and has ever been a part of any kind of theater, dance, um, I did modeling and did stuff at the Sooner Theater. I mean... I would say a lot of our school plays, you know, would not only be done at school, but then it'd put on at Sooner Theater. Yeah. And we'd go and take buses to Sooner Theater to watch the plays. And OU does a lot of plays at the Sooner Theater as well. And I remember going on field trips. To, we went and saw an opera. A Hansel and Gretel opera. Yeah, at the we went and saw that too in like when third I was in grade. high school. And then in high school, I went and saw Macbeth. They were doing Macbeth when we were reading it and senior year I guess I don't even know what year we read Macbeth but um so anybody who's from Norman has probably been to the Sooner Theater and has been in the Sooner Theater 
or backstage at the Sooner Theater. Um, but the Sooner Theater supposedly is haunted. Um, there's two uh, believed hauntings. There's the white lady, um, and there's what's known as the gray lady. Um, the gray lady is tends to be up in the balcony. Um, she always seems to be crying and moaning. Um, they also hear babies crying and screaming, um, which with that, they believe the babies and the woman crying is back when it was a hotel, um, there used to be a dentist on the second floor. And back this is back in the early 1900s, uh, when you were with baby and didn't want to be with baby, you'd go see a doctor or a dentist, and he would rid you of those problems. And so the belief, the story with the gray lady is she is a mother who went to the dentist to have the baby taken away and regrets it to, and when she died she's still regretting it so she haunts the place where she lost the baby and the white woman is the white lady she just comes down the stairs in a very like starlit manner a part of me okay a white and a gray lady why is it always a white lady or a white lady in a red dress like those are the two biggest women apparitions it really is. And why? It really is. Like, I don't think... Well, I think it's the white lady because, I mean, well, most ghost stories you hear, you know, the person is in a white outfit. A white dress. It and it's not even just a woman. It's not. It's a guy, and he's in a white suit or something weird like that. So, I don't know if they just... The color they could, you know, maybe just you know matches their damn it. Uh, when I haunt, or something. I am gonna haunt in bright geometric shapes. I'm gonna be like wearing like some. I'm like, gonna haunt in a man thong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make gonna... sure they're terrified. I'm gonna be in my parachute pants. I'm gonna be looking like <laughs> like MC Hammer. <laughs> Fl- flamboyant haunters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make sure you know I'm there. You're going to be terrified just because you thought it was a man in a thong, and then you're going to realize it was a ghost in a thong, and you're going to cry yourself to sleep for years. I'm so disturbed by your <laughs> Oh, yeah. You're no, no, you need one of those mankinis, the ones oh, that yeah. have the straps. Oh, yeah, they would definitely have to be committed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd get committed if I wore something like that. Speaking of committed, <laughs> if you guys also remember back to episode five, we talked about Griffin Hospital. That was actually brought up in this tour. And um, in fact, he even mentioned that building that you mentioned, Chad. Yeah, that was kind of cool when he said it. And like, what's crazy to me is now I'm thinking it's more than a ghost. Because he said that there was a person, uh, there was a patient and an orderly. They were out for a stroll around the campus because that was the only thing that calmed the patient down. And they both saw something white climb out of that window and onto the roof, look at them, and then take off. Well, come down towards them. Yeah. It, like, dove at them and then went up in the sky and disappeared. And I got excited because then you were talking about how your friend's mom was out walking the dog and the dog wouldn't go anywhere near the building. And well, then every time I've gone, like, uh, this was a few years ago, anytime I'd be close to it before it caught fire and got all boarded up, um, I you would see, I would always see something in the top window. It's really close to the roof. It's high up. 
but yeah, I'd always see someone or something in that window. And see, my first thought when they said this, I thought of an owl, right? And then he even said that. He's like, the guy was saying, you know, I know what an owl looks like. But then I started thinking, ooh, my stakini. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then I was thinking, you got the Mothman type situation. I mean, there's all kinds of things that this creature could be. And so it's got me all excited. And I'm like, oh, man. Now I got to, like, look into, like, cryptids and more and find out what could be in this this yeah. place. I would love to go in that building. I mean, after the fire, I'm sure it's not safe. Yeah. It's been closed due to asbestos for the last yeah, few it's decades. It's been boarded up forever. So, and then after the fire, I'm sure it's not safe to be in. But, man, I, something wants me to go in there. <laughs> We're drawn to this creepiness. Yeah. Um, now, this I, is a gothic-style building. Does it have the gargoyles and stuff on um, the top? It doesn't really have gargoyle. It doesn't have anything like that. But, I mean, it's definitely a gothic structure. And it's dark brick, sharp points. It's a very cool-looking building. If you're ever driving down 12th Street or going north on 12th Street, um, you'll you'll drive past it. And you know what building I'm talking about. We need about. to pull over it. and take a picture of it sometime. Because it's yeah. a really cool building. We need to post it on our Instagram. But We can go eat at IHOP across the street and take pictures of it. What are you doing tomorrow for breakfast? We can go eat at IHOP. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I didn't realize how much of Griffin is actually vacant now. Yeah, a lot of it is. Did you know it was a college campus before? I had no idea. Like, there was all kinds of stuff. I've always known it the Central <laughs> State. I mean, as he said, there's not a big call for mental hospitals anymore because now they just medicate you and send you home. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there are some people who need to be watched, and there are some more severe cases of schizophrenia, <laughs> And, you know, the, you know, super insane, like criminally insane and all that stuff. And then some people just need, you know, 24-hour, 48-hour watch because they're suicidal. Now, a lot of Griffin now is a rehabilitation facility. Yes, and I, I, there, I, there's a rehab, I believe, in there. Yeah. Um, there's a, one of the buildings he talks about, one of the vacant, uh, or not vacant, but abandoned buildings on the campus. Um, it's one of those, he says it's kind of weird because... One of the abandoned buildings there, um, he was talking about, it's kind of creepy to look at anyway because, like, the balcony is all caged in. And supposedly the wheelchairs, like, there's wheelchairs still out on the balcony. And every day they're in a different position. That like, could very well be the Oklahoma be, wind. It could be, but the what, what I'm thinking about looking at that, it would have to be a south wind. And it's kind of barricade, or not barricade, but kind of surrounded by other buildings. Which I'm not saying it's ghost moving them. It could just be homeless people getting into the building and moving them. Oh, yeah. But it's just one of those, it would be kind of creepy to see. Well, because if you look across the street there on Main Street, there's what used to be East Main Place, which was apartments for um, homeless people. Yeah. Is what it was. And now behind Now it's vacant and it's just torn up and there's graffiti all over it now and all this stuff. But as you're driving down Main Street, and you look over to the right. It looks like something out of like The Walking Dead. There's all these old abandoned buildings. And a lot of them are overgrown now and things like that. And the campus, it just kind of stands alone on its own. Yeah, it's kind of just an awkward place to look at because it's a lot of empty space. But then, yeah, there's half a dozen buildings just abandoned and grass growing through it and and what's interesting about it is none of the, like the architecture of the, the the campus 
none of the buildings look the same. You can tell that they were all built in different eras. And they didn't attempt to make things look the same. Which, like on campus, they just built a whole bunch of new dorms and apartments over on campus. They made an attempt to make those new dorms look like the, like the campus. historical campus. And they, they had made no attempt for that at Griffin. And so Griffin just looks like this hodgepodge <laughs> of old vacant buildings. And it looks creepy. <laughs> yeah. well, well, at one point, the, the number of patients it had was in the thousands. So they were kind of just having to throw up buildings wherever. Yeah. Well, and um, what is it? He was saying that Griffin, Dr. Griffin, I can't think of what he said his first name was, who came in and he saw what was happening at the hospital. And he immediately went to the state and said, no, they're treating people worse than animals. This has to stop. And so he came in and kind of reformed the hospital and everything was great. And the state was making money and not having to spend any money. And it was worked really well um i've known a few people who have worked at griffin i not heard any actual stories of hauntings or anything there from those people but what was interesting in the stories that he was our dog is going crazy the stories that he was telling about it were um all from actual people who worked worked there there. they weren't patient stories they were actually stories from nurses and orderlies and all of that that and one of the stories just made me laugh the way he said it. And there's a lady who had her office to herself, and she always felt like someone was watching her. And one day she had that feeling. She turned around, and this black mist was forming from the wall. And then it just went out the door. And she didn't say anything about it for, you know, a few years. And finally one day they were all sitting around at lunch talking about it. And... Uh, she brought it up, and people were like, oh, man, that's amazing. Why didn't she say anything? She was like, well, I work at a mental, mental hospital. hospital. I wanted to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought that one was really funny. But I think the coolest one, or the one that really kind of stood out to me was, uh, I don't remember which building he said it was, but it was one of the caretakers or something like that. Uh, it was where they were storing a bunch of stuff. And he'd gone in there. It's uh, where they stored all the old electronics and Stuff like that. And he walked in there and he saw it looks like a lady in a white nurse's outfit with a little paper hat. And he thought it was someone playing a trick on him. He's like, well, ma'am, I'm going to need to see your, see your ID. You're not supposed to be in here. And the lady just ignored him. So he walked up to her and said again, ma'am, I need to see your ID. Said the lady stood up, turned around, and then disappeared. And he refuses to go in that building by himself anymore. I would probably be in his, his shoes, too. I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. It just, I don't know, it depends on the feeling you get. But nothing was ever has ever been malicious there. Yeah. That's the thing, is everything's always been very friendly or even more just residual, where it doesn't interact. Which is strange for an abandoned mental hospital. Yeah. Now, there was one guy that said he had poltergeist activity. Like, there were three people that shared an office, and the other two people were fine. But he kept getting things thrown at him. I'm like, pretty sure it was just his coworkers didn't <laughs> like him. That's what I thought the entire time he was My saying thought it. Was, like me, me and Chad will shoot rubber bands at each other constantly at work. <laughs> I found how to bounce them around the door frames now. Yeah, he can shoot it around the door into my office. Um, Skill. Or toss pennies at each other or paper clips. So, I mean, just random stuff as we walk past. And... Um, so that, that was exactly my thought. Was oh, This is just his coworkers messing with him. But then I also started thinking, like, Dwight and uh, Jim... 
<laughs> in the office. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I could totally see Jim making Dwight feel like there was a poltergeist in the office. And that was his whole life. Oh, yeah, keeping it going for months and <laughs> years. And... So I was like, huh, I wonder if this is actually a ghost story or if this was really just his, his co-workers just messing with him. And just, I'm sure there's more stories that just no one knows about. Oh, yeah. Or that just there's just not enough time to talk about in that yeah. tour. Well, um, also, I, I didn't know about it, but on the campus there, there was a mass grave from a fire that had burnt down, and 34 people were killed. And the few that, the few people, you know, par- their family members came and claimed the bodies, but for the majority of them, there was no one who claimed them. So they just did a mass burial for them. Well, then they forgot where they buried them. How do you forget where you buried a bunch, like 37 people? 34 people, but 34. then some of them were, so I'm guessing high 20s maybe like, worth of uh, How bodies. do you just, for, oops. <laughs> <laughs> they probably just didn't care. I mean, I buried a parakeet when I was seven. I can still take you directly to where that parakeet is buried. But you love that parakeet. Least, Actually, least... that parakeet was an asshole. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just thinking, this is 27 people. One person on the campus has to remember <laughs> where they buried the bodies. <laughs> like, really? That's a lot of not caring. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's a mental yeah. institution. Yeah. I mean, at that point, they didn't care. At this point, people with mental issues were less than human true very true and it's really sad that it it was like that and i'm a bit big advocate for mental health i mean i was a psych major for a long time and i really uh, we can do a lot for a mental health system oh i agree and a lot of the nurses and stuff that are in the mental care health care system they're there to collect paychecks they're not no, no they really are they're there to help and in a lot of the stories that you hear about the abuse and stuff that happened in the middle hospitals around that time, it's the nurses that stopped it. And the nurses were the only ones that actually cared. So, I just, I, I can't believe that nobody remembered where they buried the bodies. And if nobody cared, that's like the, the saddest part of it all, is that nobody cared enough about one of those patients. To remember where they buried it. Well, him. the good news about that is uh, Norman Fire Department got some new toys and they went and found out where they're buried and now they have a big placard and everything uh, as a memorial to the people who lost their lives in the fire and now the grave is actually marked. So Now they have a plaque. Go Fire Department. But does the plaque make up for how many decades of being forgotten? No. I don't... But- I. I <laughs> <sighs> I just I don't get it, and I'm doing hand gestures now so you can tell that well, I'm this frustrated. Fire was, I think this fire was back in probably what the '60s. I don't remember uh, what he so said. I think it was like the '60s or something like that. And like I said, back then things were different. What <laughs> year did they pass the bill for the ethical treatment of mental patients? It was the year. It was right before Kennedy was assassinated. He said that it was the last bill he signed before he went down to Dallas. Oh, so like 1964. I, I, I've said before, I don't know dates. I know events. I can tell yeah. you what happened, how it happened, but I can't tell you when it happened. <laughs> I just, I don't remember dates. But, I mean, that was really kind of cool for him to bring up uh, 
Griffin after some of the stories we'd already talked about on here. And Yeah, and there's probably a lot more information we can get about Griffin. I bet you we could do a whole podcast on Griffin alone because Griffin has got... There's some history there. I wish I knew someone who worked there that I could kind of get some inside scoop and maybe like a little tour of the full campus. We need to dig into this. I yeah. know you can actually go walk on campus. There's no what thing I would, against it. Uh, there's a lot to Griffin. And I don't know. I might want to see that plaque and just apologize <laughs> to those <laughs> souls. I mean, I guess also a big thing to me is death by fire. That's got to be a terrible way like to the go. Most Horrible I'm sure most of them were probably dead before the fire got to them. Yeah, I know. But at the same time, that's definitely one of the worst, I would think would be one of the worst ways to go. Oh, well, even smoke inhalation. I mean, you, you ever been, been had like a, the flu and you couldn't breathe and stuff? And yeah. Just how, I would hope uh, that most of them yeah. went from carbon monoxide to night poisoning from the smoke while they were sleeping. I would hope that that would be at least yeah. how it was. So they were at least asleep. But, I mean... I have such an issue with fire death that I don't want to be cremated for the simple fact that it scares the crap out of me. I don't know why. I don't know why that scares me. I'm not scared of fire. I can build a fire. You know cremation happens after you I die. know, but... Okay. My, I just wanted to make sure that you knew you didn't get cremated <laughs> while you were still alive. My brain goes, so. what if you can still feel? And that scares me. I don't know why. It's an irrational fear that I have. But don't burn me, okay? If I die, don't burn me. You can turn me into a tree. You can donate me to science. But please don't burn me. (laughs) I won't. (laughs) Well, I mean, this whole tour last night was a lot of fun. Um, Seeing some, I mean, most of these buildings, you know, I pass every day. I live right over by downtown. Um, So, I mean, I pass them, I drive by them. I've walked past and go into downtown bars. A lot of things I didn't know about, which was really kind of cool to learn these little stories and hear from someone who's done years of research on it. One so. thing I, I was going to say when we were talking about the Sooner Theater. I've been in the Sooner Theater many times. Our daughter does dance and their performances are at the Sooner Theater. I've been, I've done performances at the Sooner Theater. I've been backstage. I've been in the dressing rooms downstairs stairs i've been upstairs i've been i've been all over that theater i've never seen anything there but i have felt stuff in the dressing rooms and i don't know if it's that there's actually something that i'm feeling or what but the dressing rooms it's not really a full height room because it's under the stage so the ceilings i'm short so the ceiling's probably about two foot above my head so it's maybe. only like a, maybe a six and a half, seven yeah. foot ceiling. So. so, and it's tight. So I don't know if it's just that and not something actually haunting. It's just the, the awkwardness and like feeling oh, out sure, of place. Yeah. Or if there's actually something in there. And I felt the creepiness. And I felt creepiness backstage. And backstage, I mean, you've got curtains and all that stuff. And there's usually a lot of activity back there, but I can still feel it. And that was one thing when we were at the, um, oh, the Midway Barbershop. I told Dave, I said, I really felt watched. I said, but it was really hard to determine what it was that I was feeling because we were so many of us were cram-packed on that sidewalk and there were drunk people all around us yelling and cussing and 
there's a band playing behind us. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. But I felt like the whole time there was somebody inside looking at us. And I just kind of kept my eyes on it. And I, I was actually found myself trying to, like, send energy out, like, for him to do something. Because I thought that would be so cool if something actually happened while we were here. But, again, I don't know if what I was picking up was from spirit or just from the closeness and all the people and all the energy from the people. And it's sometimes really hard to differentiate what it is you're feeling. But I, I don't know. It was, kind of, it was a cool feeling, though, because it was like there's something watching us, almost at an annoyedness. It was kind of an annoyed feeling is what I was getting from it. Well, I'm sure they do these ghost hunts, this haunted tour, said every month roughly or every couple months. I'm sure whoever ghost is still haunting that place is tired of having a group of 30 people standing in People front knocking of on the door like, hey, ghost, we want a haircut. Let us in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd be getting handle. annoyed too. <laughs> Let me sleep. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I got that, that was really the only place I felt anything on the tour was at the barbershop. I didn't feel anything anywhere else. Other than uneasiness when drunk people would come up to our group and start, like, just... they Being just drunk people. They would be drunk people. But downtown Art Walk, they were a lot of drunk people. <laughs> um, but it was a really fun tour. And I... I would definitely recommend it to any of our listeners who are in this area. Um, if they're doing one. Um, he's got a Facebook page that he posts all the dates they're doing stuff. Um, so I would definitely look into it. I would do it again. I'd even probably do the same tour again maybe sometime. Um, not right now because I know everything's still fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely look into doing the campus one soon and maybe the Oklahoma City one one time sometime. Um, they're even talking trying to do one in Guthrie. Um, but uh, it was a great, great tour. Uh, Jeff Provine was he was a really nice guy. Um, very professional. Professional. Very uh, it wasn't boring to listen to. He had a good way of speaking and keeping you interested, which was kind of cool. He had um, jokes that were funny. We, you know, he got us laughing. And I mean, you're with a group of forty people that you don't know, but he tells a lot of realist jokes. Yeah, yeah, I like that. He reminded me of some people that I knew, and it, it, I, I felt comfortable with him. Yeah, he was very nice, and um, like I said, he he offered to help us if we ever needed help with of our research he said let him know yeah and he said if we had anything about the stories that we're talking about yeah. um, if we do anything else about one of his books that you know he can give us more insight that's not in the books and yeah. that was really kind of cool to have someone who knows all this information who's willing to share it with okay. us even if I just say hey we want to cover a haunting in Norman with good details where do we go yeah and he can point us in the direction and we can dig yeah. I mean, he just, he has a lot of knowledge, and he's a professor at OU, and he does the ghost tours, and writes books. Definitely suggest, I mean, if you're into the paranormal, um, and I mean, so definitely if you're in Oklahoma, it's always cool to learn about things that you didn't know about, and you know, right in your own backyard. Um, even if you just want, you're not from Oklahoma and still want to learn about some of those. Look at, look, try to look up some of his books. His name's Jeff Provine. Uh, P-R-O-V-I-N-E um, and it's got one we have right now in front of us is Haunted Norman, Oklahoma he's got Haunted Oklahoma City 
Yeah. Campus Ghost of Norman, Oklahoma. And there's a Haunted Guthrie as well. And I, Yeah, he's got a bunch of them. Definitely suggest this to people who want to get in, at least know about some of this oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, just getting ground basic facts, great tour. And I mean, the history. That's me. That's one thing I love about his books is it's the history. And I like to hear the history of the places that I know. And so it's um, not all just paranormal stuff. So yeah. it's just history like about Murray Humphreys. N- nothing paranormal about it, but I just didn't know anything about that. Never heard of it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really cool to hear about it. And I'm sure there's a bunch more of just random things in there that are just history lessons that people just n- never knew about. Johnny's in the um, the and, cemetery. Yeah, we talked that about that. on its own is more interesting to me than the hauntings at Johnny's is the fact that that was a cemetery because I had no idea it was. You know, our grandparents lived, what, three blocks from there? We were in that area all the time. And yeah. it was always, a, I think it was a, a, a dry cleaners or something like that. Yeah, it was a laundromat, I think, before that. Or dry cleaners before Johnny's. And I want to say it was a gas station before that. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I was talking to him a little bit afterwards. Um, we're kind of proud of the Johnny's. And uh, I told him that. I heard rumors or stories when I was in high school, which was right across the street from it, about them uncovering unmarked graves when they were building Johnny's. And he kind of had a shocked look in his face, and he didn't, you know, he hadn't heard about that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just kind of cool, you know, just things he doesn't know that he's interested in learning about. Yeah. Well, I, I like his energy too, because it is this energy of he's excited to learn and he's excited to share his knowledge. Yeah. And. Anybody who's ever been in college and had college courses, when you have a professor that seriously enjoys ex- like sharing their knowledge, you learn so much more, and it makes those classes enjoyable. So anybody who's had him as a professor has been lucky, because I have had some really boring <laughs> professors. Well, I wish I was <laughs> going to OU so I could take his history of comic books class. <laughs> yes. That sounds amazing for me, but I'm a comic book nerd, so... I just, I, I to me that's that's a big deal because I've had I took some classes where, especially my history class where it was like Ferris Bueller's day off, Bueller. and he was literally there just to get a paycheck. But then I took a government class where he was he was into it, and I learned so much in that class, and it was the best class I ever had when it was talking about social studies issues, you know, government and history and all that stuff. So. I can imagine that anybody takes his classes is going to get a ton of information. So I do want to say thank you to Jeff Provine for yeah, thank you, the Jeff. tour. Um, that was that was great, and thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope you yeah, listen. Thank you. <laughs> if we do anything wrong, you know, if we said anything wrong, it's Chad's message. Fault. It probably is my fault. No, it's Austin's fault because he's not here. Because yeah. Austin was going to be here with us, and he had some stuff come up, and he, so he couldn't come because he was with us on the tour. Um, so now we're throwing him under the bus. We're throwing him yep. under the bus. It's his fault. If something's wrong, it's because he's not here to correct us. <laughs> um, well, and also, I want to thank you guys for listening, um, people who aren't Jeff Provine. And <laughs> I want to ask or ask a favor. If you can go to iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, wherever you're picking up their podcast from, and rate and review us, leave us a comment. That would be awesome. That's what helps get us in more people's ear. The more ratings we have, the more we show up in searches. So that'll get us out there more. We also have discovered that we have an international listener. 
We have a listener in Sweden. Thank you. That is awesome. Uh, uh, talk? Talk? Yes. If it was a Spanish country, I could probably be a little bit better, but I'm not fluent in Swedish. Well, well let's hear your Spanish in case we do have some Spanish listeners. Uh, gracias. <laughs> oh, that was really good. <laughs> Donka. Do you have any German listeners? <laughs> um, anyway. And thank us. you to, you know, yeah. all the other listeners. <laughs> thank you for listening. Rate us. Like us. We're on Facebook. Instagram. Pinterest. Not Pinterest. Why do we, Why did Pinterest... Okay. We're on Facebook. <laughs> like us on <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're unlocked now, so we are actually on Twitter. Yes, we are live. We need followers, by the way. All right. And uh, we are UNP Normalcy on all of those. And our email is UNP Normalcy at gmail.com if you've got any personal stories you want us to cover um i know we're staying in oklahoma and norman right now because that's what we know and it's easy for us to get a hold of we are doing some bigger research right now chad and i know we both are reading some books dave's gonna do some research on it as well we're gonna come at you with a bigger topic that's not local um here probably you do have some local ties in the book i'm reading which is kind of cool that's neat um but we're gonna we're gonna kind of branch out away from Oklahoma every once in a while. Like I said, it's what we know, so that's what we're gonna cover. But if you are from Sweden and you've got some awesome story, share it with us. We'll talk about it. You know, we'll if you want us to read your story, we'll read your story. I have um, a couple people that have already um, I've talked to that he doesn't really want to be on the show, but he's he's gonna write down some. Uh, write him down if, if he knows how to write. I'm not quite sure. Uh, he's gonna try to give me some of his stories so yeah. we can share them. So. Get him. Email us. Oh, that would be amazing. Heck, if you just want to email us and say, "Hey, what's up?" We'll respond. I look at Twitter every day. So, I, I'm you know, on Instagram we, and Facebook daily. Um, I get the email alert straight to my phone. So we don't have a lot going on. No, we only <laughs> let's see. I only run a business and take care of two kids and a husband and a dog and a cat. And I play video games. So <laughs> that's why I'm on Twitter. Hey, every me day. too. <laughs> <laughs> and I edit podcasts. Um, but thank you again for listening. We will be back at you and in your ear next week with a new episode. And keep digging. Keep digging. Since one of the topics that we talked about today was mental health and suicide, I just wanted to throw out the suicide hotline number in case anybody is just feeling sad and needs to talk to somebody. Uh, That number is 1-800-273-8255. Always ask for help. You don't have to carry it alone. Somebody's there to help.